Well, we're uh, in the middle of a series at the moment at City Reach Marion. Uh, we're going through the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 25. And uh, we're in a sort of portion where Jesus is teaching us about what happens at the end and also how to be prepared for the end. Now, sometimes we think about the end of the world and we've watched all sorts of movies about it. But actually, the Bible tells us there is an end coming and it is when Jesus returns to the earth. And so this parable explains, as we saw amongst uh, some of them, that they were well prepared and others weren't. And so today I want to explain to you how to be prepared for Jesus. Now, when I was in high school... My final year of high school, year 12, I was very excited to be a part of the, well, like, join into the athletics day. Um, I wasn't that great a runner at the time, but I was convinced that I had a a good strategy and I would be able to win the 400 metre race. So I was there, had the right equipment, clothes, shoes on. I was on the track. I was there at the right time when the event was on. And when the gun went off, I started running. Now, ordinarily, uh, 400 metre runners would pace themselves over 400 metres because your body doesn't have quite enough energy stored up in it so that you can run at full tilt the whole way. You have to pace yourself and then run fast at the end. But I thought, no. And because I was unprepared, I thought I was right. I thought, no, I will run fast at the beginning and get a head start so that I will beat everyone else. And so I did. I ran fast and I was ahead and the commentator was quite surprised because I wasn't known for my athletic ability. Now, there's Lawson at the front leading the pack. But then as I sort of went around the last corner, they started to catch me. One, two, three, went past me until I got fourth place, which was actually better than I thought. So my strategy kind of worked out <laughs> a little bit, but unfortunately I did not make the podium. Why? Well, I was there at the right time. I had the right equipment. I was even like on the track. I was even running. But I was totally unprepared. And so to actually win a race, you have to be prepared. You have to know how to run it. And in the same way, Jesus is explaining that we have to be prepared. And there's only a particular preparation that will do. So I'm going to tell you three particular things about being prepared for Jesus today. And the first one is a very common but an insufficient preparation for Jesus. Now, in our parable today, uh, this is probably one of the uh, best snapshots we actually have in ancient documents as to what weddings look like in the first century. We don't know much about what weddings look like in the first century, but there's actually a fair bit in the Bible that tells us what they look like. And so typically, there will be a ceremony uh, at the home of the bride, And afterwards, the entire wedding party would go as a big procession with the bridal party holding lamps where they would all go together to the reception or the wedding feast at the house of the groom. So this is when everyone needs to be well prepared. And typically, the reception, as often happens uh, in our time, happens in the evening. And so you need light, right? They didn't have electricity back then. And so they had oil lamps. And so, as we have already seen, without your lamp alight at the right time, your place in the bridal party is forfeit. Unless your lamp is alight and you can actually use it, you can't be part of the bridal party. 
You can't go from the ceremony to the reception. You can't follow the groom and be a part of his wedding feast. Now, this is very interesting because, as you might have noticed at the beginning, all the bridal party was exactly the same in everything except their preparations. So, as you see in the text, and if you've got your Bibles in front of you, please keep them open to Matthew 25. As you can see, there were several of them that were there. They were heard the call, hey, you know, you need to be prepared. The bridegroom's coming. You know, they probably had the right clothing on as well. You know, they actually all had lamps with some oil in, so they were burning at some point, and they all fell asleep as well. So in fact, on the outside, everything looks the same. On the outside, everyone looks like they were adequately ready. But as it turns out, some were prepared and some were not. Now this is very interesting because Jesus is teaching us a far deeper spiritual reality than just this parable. In fact, that's the point of parables, to teach us something spiritual that's happening. The reality is, is that many people think they're prepared for God, but they're not. Many religious people are aware that Jesus is returning. There is a date set, there is a specific time when Jesus will return and the good news is he will set everything right. Everything that is wrong or bad in the world will be made right. Every tear will be wiped away. Everything will be sorted out by this coming King, Jesus. And yet not everyone will be prepared. J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God says that many people can know about God But to really know God is something else. He says there are two ignorant religious states we can be in. One is, we can know a great deal about God without much knowledge of Him. That is, we can know how to go to church. We can know how to read our Bibles, perhaps. We can know how to be part of particular religious ceremonies. Baptisms. Communion. Even our weddings might have been a religious ceremony. We can even have an interest in spiritual things. So we can do all these things. We can think that we know a lot about God and yet at the same time not really know Him. This is the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing Him. That's the first thing he points out. The second thing that J.O. Packer points out is that one can know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. That is, and this is going a little bit deeper, isn't it? That is, we can know the right words to pray. We can have the right books on the shelf. We can give the right amount of money to the church. We can know how Christians ought to behave in certain situations. How to be a Christian student how to be good for your parents or a good parent to your children. We can know how to be a good single person or a good married person or a good dating person or whatever else in between. And so we can know all the things that we ought to do in theory but not really know the one in whom we're supposed to be doing it for. A good illustration is, do you remember when you were a bit younger and some of you... This might be reality for you when you liked someone else and you observed them from a distance 
And you thought, oh, that person is so wonderful. And you might have even studied them. Some of you may have had a little book where you took notes about this particular person, about how interesting they were. And then you, you know, made up imaginary stories about what it would be like if you got together and got married and lived happily ever after. Unfortunately, it doesn't really matter if you never had the courage to go and ask them out or the courage to go and even talk to them. Because if you never even talk to them, you never actually really knew them. And we can be a little bit like that. We can be on the outside rather than on the inside. It can be all true in theory, but not in practice. Now, a few years ago, I was down the southeast of South Australia, and around Mount Gambier, and it's a beautiful place, and it's very well known for its uh, diving, freshwater diving. One of the best places in Australia to go freshwater diving. Has anyone been there and done some freshwater diving? Oh, it's, oh, one. Very good. Well, that makes two of us. Well, I thought it was fantastic until I found out that there's caves that you can swim into underwater, and you can swim into these underwater caves, and they go for like hundreds of metres. And you can explore them. Now, for some people that's exciting. For some people that's a nightmare. Being underwater, underground, swimming in a cave where it's very, very dark. Now, you would want to be very prepared for such an adventure, wouldn't you? So, you'd, you know, as you're going to jump into like a hole in the ground that goes into a cave, you would want to put your wetsuit on, check. You'd want your goggles on, Check. You'd want your flippers on, check, and of course you need a torch, right, because it's underwater, underground, you need to be able to see, check, and so you dive in. What's missing? Oh, 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 hands, yep, in the middle. Oxygen, right, of course, you've got everything on except the most important thing, you can't breathe. You're not going to get very far, are you? And if you try, you will die, unfortunately. That's just the reality of it. You can have all the other equipment right, but without this one thing, you will fail. Now, there is this nagging existential question. That's a big word, isn't it? Existential question. Existential is, what's the point? What's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? There can be this nagging question in our lives. What am I living for? And maybe sometimes even, what am I missing? Our friends in U2, they're great uh, for drawing on spiritual themes, have this song that goes, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. As if there's this great search for this one thing that if I have it, it will all make sense. And I think they're actually onto something. In fact, uh, funnily enough, uh, Richard Dawkins, one of the great atheists, talked about this great ordering principle behind the universe, this one thing which he believed holds it all together. And this is one of the few times when I would say, he's actually right. The funny thing is, we can spend our whole life looking for something, this one thing, and not find it. We can look for it by getting a really good job, where we'll be really well off, we'll have great financial security, we'll get a really 
big house, have a wonderful family, have a really big superannuation and cryptocurrency portfolio if you're excited about that kind of thing. You have all these things set aside. This one thing, but then when you get them, you realise, hey, this doesn't quite make me happy like I thought it would. It's not quite the one thing I was looking for. And so you might look for it in something else. You might look for it in your relationships with other people. You might look for for it in your health and your wellness because you realise that your body is actually, as you get older, starting to decay. It doesn't work as well as it used to. That sore shoulder just keeps getting sore. And so we start to pick and choose and look for that one thing that we're missing. And yet if we miss knowing God, we miss it all. Just like not having oxygen when you go underwater cave diving. This one thing is utterly important. So we see that unless the lamp is a light, unless you have this one thing, this one preparation, when the bridegroom comes, everything else is pointless. Unless you're with him in the room, everything else is pointless. Jesus puts it this way in Mark 8.36. He says, stark words for us this morning. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Okay, so that is a common but insufficient preparation. There is another type of preparation we see in our parable this morning. It is a hidden preparation. A hidden preparation. Now, uh, if anyone's seen the uh, car racing movie series, The Fast and the Furious you will know that there are very fast and powerful sports cars that race one another. And they kind of, they all look a little bit similar. They've all got the spoiler, the big engine, the loud sounds, the fancy looking people who drive them, the bright colours. Except there is a special hidden thing that you can have inside this vehicle that will make it faster than the others. So when you're racing down that final mile to win that great street race to swap your pink slips with the other person so that you will be crowned the great street racer, you need this special one thing in your vehicle. What is it? No. (laughs) Good guess, though. Someone else over here in the corner. Oil. Oh, that's good, but not quite down here. Nitrous oxide, yes. So you press this little red button and your car goes and you win the race. Just one thing. Everything else on the outside looks the same, but you just have this one thing, a hidden thing, a special thing that you're prepared that makes you win the race. So what is this hidden preparation we see in the text? There's this fascinating thing. So we see these 10 uh, women that are part of this bridal party. Five were foolish, five were wise. How do we know the difference between them? Because the five wise ones had a bit of extra oil with them and the five foolish ones did not. The five wise ones were prepared, the five foolish ones were not. What does this flask of oil actually mean, is the question. What does it actually mean? What does it mean for us today? Well, actually, there's a hint in the text, and we actually see this in verse 12. 
So as we work our way you know, through the story and we realize that the foolish ones are left out and the wise ones are in because they had the extra oil and their lamp was a light, what is the difference? Well, the ones who knocked on the door trying to get in, the bridegroom answered to them, truly I say to you, I do not know you. So let me put this to you. It's not what you know, it's who you know. This is the hidden preparation. It is who you know. The hidden preparation of uh, this bridal party, the wise ones, was that they expected him to come and so they prepared for him to come and they would be there and they would make sure that no matter what happens, even if they fell asleep, that they would be there when the bridegroom came because they knew him personally. They didn't just know about him, they knew him. Now, this is very interesting because as we read our way uh, through the Gospels, the sort of first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that tell us about Jesus' own life, it seems that Jesus had a very special and personal relationship with God the Father. In fact, if we have a look at Jesus' own prayer life, which is a very interesting thing, because the Bible claims that Jesus is God and Jesus also prayed, because Jesus is a man too, that Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed to God the Father, and he had a very close relationship with God the Father. In fact, we see that he is utterly dependent upon God the Father in the way that he prays. When there's big decisions that are coming up, when Jesus had to choose his 12 disciples, what did he do? He went away and prayed all night. This is just good application for us. If you have big decisions to make, you need to pray. You need to spend time with God. If if you've got something big that's coming up that you're not sure how to handle it, you need to turn to God and ask Him for His help. And even Jesus did this. But what we see revealed in Jesus' relationship with God the Father is that He knew God. He didn't just know about God, He actually knew Him. He knew Him as a parent as a child knows its parent. That's why they have this father-son relationship. They're close with one another. Jesus knew God the Father enough to know what he ought to do with his life. And Jesus knew God the Father enough that he could face the worst thing in the world that could possibly happen to someone. Going to a Roman cross to suffer and die for a very good reason for the sake of the forgiveness of sins of all those who would have faith in him. But Jesus was able to do that. Why? Because he knew his father. There is a strength and even a power to knowing the father. There is a transformation that takes place inside of us. If we believe and trust in God, then we can face even the darkest, most difficult things and stay in God's will and do what He wants. It is an amazing thing. But then Jesus said something else, which is fascinating. A couple of things, in fact. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And then Jesus says, if you know the Son, you know the Father, which I think comes back to us. The one thing that you need to be prepared with, the thing the oil represents, is knowing Jesus. It is the one thing that our whole lives boil down to. If you know Jesus, then it's all worked out in Him. You see, there's no exam to enter heaven. 
You don't fill out the paperwork. You know, you know the, the joke that often says that you, know, you get to heaven's gate and St. Peter's there and he's asking you, you know, why would I let you in? And you know, he gives you an exam and you have to fill it out. That's not is what's going to happen. There's no exam to get in, is there? There's no asset test. Sometimes if we've got to get a loan or something, you know, we, we need to do an asset test to see, you know, ha- like how much have you got? What are you worth? There's no asset tests for us to get into heaven. In fact, some of us think that if we do enough good things, if we're kind to other people, if we're generous, if we obey our parents or our teachers, if we're good to our children, that will tick enough boxes to get in. And yet, the Bible tells us this is false. There is nothing that will get us in except for who you know. It's as if you come to the door of a very important party and, you know, for whatever reason, your name has dropped off the list, but you say, oh, but I know him. I know the person who is in the party. And so they can vouch for me because they know me as well. And so differently to that situation, if they actually know them, they would open the door and say, oh, yes, you're part of this. And so you're welcomed in because they knew him. And so the difference is that it's not about what you do, but it is about who you know. That is the hidden preparation. And we find this fascinating thing, and I think this is really interesting in this parable, is that everyone falls asleep. Not just the, the foolish ones fell asleep, because you'd think that the wise ones would stay awake, but hey, we get tired. I don't know about you. Who's tired this morning? Come on, be honest. Yeah, that's just life, right? We get tired. The, the weight of the world just comes upon us. This world is broken and problematic. Our lives are broken and problematic. And yet there is something, right? There's one thing that even if your life falls apart, even if things don't go well for you, even if people don't like you or you don't like them, even if your money doesn't pay off, your family doesn't pay off, your relationships aren't what they used to be, even if you've got no one else left for you, There's one person who will never let you down. Oh, come on, in the middle. Who is it? Jesus, yes. Knowing him can be enough. He's the hidden preparation. But no matter what happens in our life, whether we get drowsy and sleep, that oil will keep burning because we know him. The result, of course, and it's said in another part of the Bible, is that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. You can face anything if you really know Jesus. And we know this because Jesus could face anything. And so we can face even death, even the most difficult things in life, if we know him because he's got all the big things tied up in his hands. That's where our hearts can be secure in our trust in him. So that is our hidden preparation. So let's do a bit of a recap, shall we? There's a common preparation, but one that is insufficient. 
right? If you don't have oxygen in your tank, you ain't going diving, right? There is a hidden preparation, which is actually knowing Jesus, actually knowing him and trusting in what he's done for you. Nothing else will suffice. And thirdly, and finally, there is a revealed preparation. And we see this in verse 6. At midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. There will be a great cry one day, a great announcement that everyone on the earth will hear. And gee, you want to have things sorted before then. And it will happen when we least expect it, like a thief in the night. When you don't expect it will happen, Jesus will come. It, he came at midnight. He was late as far as they were concerned. They were all asleep. In the text, Jesus will come and the wise will be able to rise and serve him and the foolish will not. And so a revealed preparation actually shows us what people who know Jesus can do, how they can rise and serve him. J.I. Packer, again in his book, Knowing God, says there are four marks of someone who really knows God. The first mark of someone who really knows God is that they have great energy for God. They have great energy for God. They're willing to do whatever it takes for him. You know, in the school context, if your friends look at you and they say to you, gee, it's not cool to be a Christian. Why would you do that? No, why do you go to church? If you really know God, you are willing to stand up and go, actually, I'm willing to do anything for God. I'll go to church. I'll trust in him my whole life. We give the example of Daniel in the Bible. Daniel is someone who is under the difficult circumstances of a culture that wants nothing to do with God. And yet he is willing to stand up and even at the threat of being thrown into a lion's den, is able to stand up, as we've uh, heard today in our singing, able to stand up and serve God with great energy. That is the first mark. The second one is this. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Those who know God have great thoughts of Him. What do you think about when you're on your own? Do you think about how you're going to get ahead in life? Do you think about your problems? Do you think about your failures? Do you think about you know, those who like you and those who don't? You're trying to measure up whether you're good enough? Because those who know God aren't actually consumed by those things. Those who know God are consumed by something better. They're consumed by Him. He is their highest thought and their greatest ambition. It's a bit like a perpetual motion machine. Has anyone seen one of those things that kind of spins and then... Spins and then spins. They look quite strange, actually. But one of the fascinating things about it is the counterweights. What they do is they enable it to propel more and more. And our relationship with a God that we know is like that, the more we think high thoughts of Him, the more we express and dig deep into how good He is and are thankful for Him. We just look a cursory look through the Psalms we'll see people who are filled with God become even more filled with God. They are people who have great thoughts of Him. Number three, 
Those who know God show great boldness for God. There's an interesting uh, description, sort of the end of the book of Romans, in Romans 16. Paul goes through a list of sort of all his friends who've been, been serving together in ministry with. And he gets to uh, a couple called Prisca and Aquila. And he says, they risked their necks for the Apostle Paul and for the Gospel. They risked their necks, literally meaning their neck was on the chopping block if they were caught. Are you willing to risk your neck in your reputation, in your career, in the things that you really want for God? Because those who know God show great boldness for God. And finally, the fourth one that J.R. Packer tells us about is those who know God have great contentment in God. And this is just well explained, I think, by the Apostle Paul again in Philippians 4. Read this. He says, For I've learnt in whatever situation I am to be content. So you want to know what he says next, right? Verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This guy's got it, right? He knows how to handle everything. What's his secret? What's the one thing in his life that he believes in that will get him through? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so revealed preparation shows the sort of wise people who know God who trust in Jesus. And what is the source of their strength? What is the source of their wisdom? What is the source of their ability? The oil is their source. Knowing Christ is what they burn. So let me tell you, if you were listening to those four things and thought, man, I've got to get onto this. I need to get some great energy for God. I need to have some great thoughts of God. I need to show great boldness for God. I need to have contentment with God. I hoped when you heard those four things, you're like, that's really hard. I'm going to put that on next year's uh, you know, New Year's resolution list. Not, no, not 2022, 2023, because I need to work my way up to that. And I tell you, even then, with your willpower, you will not achieve it. You, will, you can't do it. You can try all your life to do that in your own strength. You won't achieve it. Or you're pretending, which is not a good place to be in. This is why we're told of the source of all this, because knowing Christ is what they burn. So rather than working really hard to do the right things, you know, to have great energy, great thoughts, great boldness, great contentment, we must fill our lamps with oil at knowing Jesus. We must fill our lamps with oil of knowing Jesus. Many of us hesitate when it actually comes to knowing God. I was just speaking to a friend last night, actually, who said to me, he knows someone quite well, who said, oh, you know, I know Jesus, I'm interested in him. But he wasn't willing to make Jesus his Lord and Saviour. He wasn't willing to go all in. And I thought, well, what does that matter if you got the wetsuit, you got the goggles, you got the flippers, you ain't got oxygen. The one thing is so important. So may we then come to Jesus as he invites us to in Hebrews 4, our high priest who is ready and able to give us his mercy and to deliver us his grace in our time of need. May we fill our lamps with the oil of God, of knowing 
Jesus. I want to invite the band back up. I want to pray uh, for us now and then we'll sing together. Father God, we thank you so much that Jesus, knowing him, is the greatest and the most important thing in the world today. And may this become true for each of us personally. Lord God, no matter what age or stage of life we're in, that we would set aside the less important things and set our hearts on you, the one who can sort out everything else in our lives. Help us to trust you. Humble us before you that we might not think that we can do this by ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.